0: Previously, on the Tony Kornheiser Show. I think the the Phillies do have the schedule advantage, which is helpful. Um, But I think in the end, the Braves are just a more talented team than the Phillies. And uh, Atlanta's going to be the one that, I say, wins that division. Uh, I'm using air quotes with wins. That That division stinks more than this show. I mean, it's really bad. <laughs> the Tony Kornizer Show is on now. It's so odd. Um, I have used that slogan, this show stinks, for 30 years. Passin gets it. Uh, yeah, Passin totally gets it. <clears throat> I have it on t shirts that were made up when the show was being done out of ESPN. In Bristol, Connecticut. Not that we were in Bristol, Connecticut. But don't I to my right, the mug. I, I have T-shirts. I have mugs. They all say this show stinks. With your signature. My signature is on it. I look at it. So I can't wear the T-shirts because it's my name is on it. I don't. <laughs> although others can wear them, I do use the mug. But I mean, this show stinks. I don't even take that personally, you know, because it it's it's essentially a logo. It's a motto. It's something that I came up with and thought was really good. Uh, Levitard liked it so much that Levitard made his can't stand Dan. You know, I I mean, you make fun of yourself whenever you can. That's the the beauty of life. Well, also, if you have a good job, you can make fun of yourself because you've got a good job. (laughs) If you make fun of yourself and you lose your job, it's not that good. Uh, Michael is here. Nigel's in... New York. Sean is in the metropolitan area. Sean, uh, some pump work. Are you dried out? What do you got?
1: Uh, I got a bunch. Uh, uh, they cut out a bunch of drywall and a bunch of flooring, and there are a bunch of fans
0: running in the basement. But progress. Okay. <laughs> um, n- New York City, the New York City area, and the New Orleans area hit amazingly hard by the same storm, thousands of miles apart. Amazing.
1: Power- powerful piece over the weekend in the in our Washington Post about. The practice of, you know, housing in basements and sort of the the practices around that it, it was it, pretty sad to read.
0: You're not supposed to have basement apartments. They are part There's... of the culture. They are part of the culture of Manhattan for a hundred years. For a hundred years, basement apartments. You never think. You never think they're going to flood in Manhattan. Of course not. not. It's made out of rocks. It's not going to flood. And Surrounded by water. Yeah, and it floods. And it floods in Brooklyn, and it floods in Queens. And it's, it doesn't happen often, but when it does, it, it can be tragic. It was tragic this time. There were many lives lost as water rushed in and people died. They drowned, right? They drowned. They drowned where they lived. It's an amazing and sad story. And you wonder, from a legal standpoint, if there is liability for the landlord. Because you're not supposed to in most cases, because you have to have a point of egress entrance
1: and egress. You gotta have two. Right, Michael? Is that how it works? You gotta have two ways out. I think it's a little bit different everywhere, but it's it's tough when you, if you have something that is coded for you know, recreation and storage, and, and then you're, not you're turning rental. that into a you know a, a three person, you know, unit. Not rental. All right, let me get off that.
0: Let me do something that's very, very local for me. Extremely local. Randy Edsel, who was the coach at University of Maryland football for an hour and a half. I never liked Randy Ed, so I'll tell you why in a second. It wasn't personal. It was something he said, and I just didn't root for him. I actually sort of rooted against him a little bit because of what he said. He announced yesterday that he is retiring from Connecticut, where he started out and built a pretty good program, built a D1 program out of nothing at Connecticut, which is how he got the job at, at Maryland. He lost to Holy Cross, which is a 1AA school. He's a 1A. Don't tell me FCS, FBS. I don't care what that means. I, I, don't, I don't care about that. It's one double A and 1A. That's how it works. He lost the Holy Cross and announced the next day he was retiring. This would be his last season. Are you going to say to me, well, what, what's your beef with Randy Edsel? It's very, very simple. Randy Edsel is from either very northern Maryland or very southern Pennsylvania, around the flat border where you go over it and you go to Gettysburg. When you drive north in Maryland, you go over, you go to Gettysburg. He's from either Maryland or Pennsylvania, in that area, when he got the job at the University of Maryland, he said, my whole life, this was my goal to coach at Maryland. And I said, that's ridiculous. Your goal was to coach at Penn State. Everybody <laughs> who grows up there, their goal is to coach at Penn State. You watch Joe Pop for 40 years and you said, wow, if I could get that job, that's the best job in the world. So please don't come in here.
1: Glen Rock, Pennsylvania.
0: Okay, don't. So come on. Don't come in here <laughs> peddling this, this, you know, these potatoes. It's, it's not true. You said it because you thought it would sound good, and one of us said, ah, that doesn't <laughs> sound good. Anyway, anyway, let me get to the golf, because I watched a lot of the golf over the weekend, and I had some questions from Michael. I was so fortunate yesterday I got to play golf with my son. Made me very very happy, and actually, I wasn't stinking. Right? I was. No. I was, I was. I was
1: actually okay. You are the best driver of the golf ball that I know, and I <laughs> and I know good players. You hit one of the most reliable tee balls. Yeah, I do. And you're hitting it deep now. Yeah, and I'm so you old. Have, you have this little toe tellin'. step trigger with your left foot. Telling. It's like you're dancing on the tee. Yeah, it's,
0: it's telling. Um, so okay. So my large I'll go with my small stuff first and then my large objection. And Wilbon and I disagree on this. And Wilbon will be on later and maybe we'll talk about it. I'm sure we'll talk about it. The small thing is that the way the tournament is set up, the first six or seven people who are seated get so many strokes that it becomes and, – and it became a two-horse race. It became a two-horse race between Patrick Cantlay – who in the last three weeks was probably the best player in the world, and John Rom, who is the best player in the world. And John Rom, and if you see him stand over a putt and you watch him from behind, you say, oh, my God, he's an offensive lineman. He's, to use somebody I played golf with over the weekend, for people who remember this name, he's Ray Shonky. He's got a big can. He's got big thighs. He's a big, right? He's a big, powerful man. Power he is, is built. built from the ground up. If you watch him hitting a short iron from the rough, you see it. He is built like an offensive lineman. He really is. He's the best player in the world right now. They uh, had a duel in the sun for three days, basically, just two guys. Justin Thomas receded. Kevin Na couldn't get started fast. He's too far back. None of these guys were close enough to make it matter. On the 18th hole yesterday, and Canley did not putt nearly as well yesterday as he has for the last two weeks. And he allowed Rom to believe that Rom could win. Missed, to tre- missed that shorty, I think that was what, 13? Four feet. Four feet, um, and let Rahm back in. On the 18th hole of par five, both guys get on in two. Rom gets on first with a great shot about 12 feet to the fringe, and Patrick Cantlay hits the best shot he hit on the tournament other than a putt because he got on the green and was closer. On in two, had a legitimate eagle. They both had eagle putts. John Rom looking at where Patrick Cantlay is and knowing he's not going to do worse than birdie the hole, John Rahm has to make the third shot to have any chance to win the tournament. Has to make it. And now I turn to my son, the golfer. He's on the fringe. Boy, oh boy, am I taking out a putter. There is no question in my mind I am taking out a putter. I'm rolling it. It's straight downhill putt. And he takes out a wedge. Please explain to me and anybody else out there who doesn't understand how great these guys are with wedges, how they could think they're as good with wedges as with
1: putters. Well, to them, it's going to be they know their landing spot and they know their spin. But I think the the final piece here has to do with the grain of the grass. This is not something that we deal with here. And I think that's what makes this level of you know the difference between the top five, ten wedge players is their ability to go from grass surface to grass surface. And you tend to see over a career, some people pitch and chip much better on a different type of fairway. And what's odd with Rom? is you saw earlier in the tournament, from about four or five feet off, he went with the putter, and that just shows you how true the surface is. So I'm not, I'm not sure exactly what the mindset was, but it might have just been this perfect number for him, where he says, "I got this, you know, this baseline ten yard chip, and I know I don't have to worry about any variable before it gets to that number. So I'm basically taking off the first two thirds of any impurity that might happen if I were to take the putter, right. or if the, you know, the first little bit of that grass." gets it offline before it even gets on the surface.
0: So let me explain to people who don't play golf or people on my level. If you have a ball in the fringe and you can putt it, you always putt it because you're afraid of a wedge. You're afraid of a swing. There's no swing with a putter. You just drop it down. And so when I see this, I go, whoa. And he has his caddy take out the flag because he doesn't want to hit it too hard and bounce it out. And he is there's no There should be no question in anyone's mind. John Rahm believes he's going to make this. Oh, yeah, he believes he's going to make it. He missed it left by eight inches. The line he was on was a little bit left, but he believed he was going to make it at that point, Patrick Cantlay has two putts to win and cozies it up to you know six inches and wins. Um, and i I watch Rahm play Rahm is. He's big and he's strong and he seems to know what he's doing. And he's, for a big man, he's very, very soft around the green, knows what he's doing.
1: Right? It's, the- it's easy It's easy to say he has the Spanish hands, but if you watch him pitch the ball. He's, what does that mean? If you just go back to Seve, oh, to and, Seve his and his ability to manipulate the right. club, fla- the club oh, face, so the interaction of, of the, the club, the bounce, the leading edge, as it all works with the ground to get the strike that he wants. But this, to me, is going back to earlier spots where you start to look at the impact of this, the volume of $15 million, and you start to say, was that short putt missed by Cantley? Was that just the, you know, you look over a couple of weeks where you hadn't missed anything, and oh, just, there's no so way good. you can continue 14-plus strokes gained on the field. So if you start to say there's a little minus there going to the final round, that's fine. But when you start to see that amount of money, you start to get the, you know, you might see the twitch on, on second a second place first. is $5 million. So that's why you sit there going like, It's $5 million. I, I don't know why you it's it seems like it'd be easy to be happy to go straight to the putter. or just two butt. Yeah, it's happy. Two it's it's five million dollars. You're missing the big story though. You're looking at this and go, the big winners, this is you had two guys who basically tried to coast the first two days to see what does the tournament become. I already know where my starting point is, but is anyone else gonna put out a historic number here and try and change the shape? And now you're just shrinking it to to eventually become nine holes so was, where you where you run out of holes eventually like Kevin Na did. So it's
0: it's fairly boring. It's much more boring than the week before the BMW at Caves Valley. The highlight
1: for the Tour it's Championship boring. happened right when the leaders were teeing off, which was Joaquin Neiman had a chance to break Kevin Na's record for the fastest round. He oh, finished in one hour and 53 minutes. He went out alone. Went out alone. Finished in
0: 153. 150 That's fantastic. Finish. And was uh, two over on the day. Yeah, did not, did not play as well. as. So Kevin let Na me did get that. to what my objection. As I've said many times on this show, I believe that when you get to the finals, there's only 30 people. It ought to be winner-take-all. There should be no stroke advantages, no cumulative stroke advantages. Patrick Cantlay was awarded 10 shots before he even teed off. 10 shots. Half the field, he's got 10 shots on, and then it grades out for the other half of the field. Patrick Cantlay, who's a great player, shot 269, and he won by one shot over John Rahm, who shot 266. Where is the fairness in that? John Rahm should have won this tournament by two strokes. Kevin Na, 266. Now, he's five back of Patrick Cantley, but he's three better than Cantley. Justin Thomas is even with Cantley. Xander Schauffele is one better. He w- would have beaten Cantley in the tournament. Victor Hovland was even with him. I, this does not compute for me. I think when you're this great, there should be no advantage. It, it, in basketball, if you had the best record for the year, you get one home game more than somebody else. But you don't get five. You don't get all seven. You don't get that. That I, I In other sports, there is not this handicapping system. And you could say, well, golf is a sport of handicaps. Well, it's not this kind of handicap. <clears throat> it's it, It's to even things out Not in metal play. No. (coughs) Steven, things out that day, you know, like just for betting purposes.
1: I don't like this. Do you? You're a golfer. I don't like this. I would say I like it better than before where we had, Sands to, re- where like we had to rely on Sands leading up, saying, like, here's the potential out- outcome. And again, you come back to the Tiger Woods scenario where the story of the year is Tiger Woods winning. He wins it. And you have and Justin, Justin Rose, Rose tapping in for, what was it, a par or bogey? A bogey. He's, he's doing the quiet fist bump as everyone's celebrating with, with uh, Tiger. Because so, he gets the money. To yeah. me, I guess the issue is those players, and you look at this, if there's 30 players here, and you you think about Kepka who had to withdraw because of injury, uh, Patrick Reed, who probably shouldn't have been playing but wanted right. to get through that so you've already had you already had a field of 30 you had the rock and pneumonia and the that, boogie woogie flu you know, you have a field of 30 <laughs> that might actually be only 15 to 18 players who are playing well enough right now who have That's been right. riding their points and just say i have to play through the previous events just to try and Keep that wave of momentum to get into the Tour Championship where the real money is. So I would just look at it and say over the course of a year, you've already had the advantage over other players. You've qualified if you play well enough. You're qualifying to limited field events. You're qualifying into the biggest majors of the year. So when you get here, the final event, it seems like you've already had that. So let's just see who finishes with the lower score. Uh, there seems to be other ways. They always have rules about a, a player of this many years of service. You have to you have to play in a different tournament every year. You can't just play the same fifteen events. So it seems like you could do that. You could try and handicap, say, the tournament schedule to try and make sure you're not just you're not just riding your past performance from five years ago, and you're trying to you know avoid any pitfall because you're not playing in and say just a hand-picked field of events
0: what is my favorite event in sports it's the hundred meter dash you break the tape there's eight people you know and because one guy qualified last he doesn't have to start five yards back they all start at the same spot they all run the same distance and the guy who's got the tape on his chest wins it's pretty simple and I believe that's what sports is. Now would that's you say if you
1: got to the final 30 and you say we've handicapped the field in terms of tee times so we're going to give okay. Cantley and Rom the final tee time that's so fine. they have the yeah. ability to see what the morning sure. round shoots. fine. Yeah.
0: It's fine. But this is strokes is stupid to me. We'll take a break. Michael Wilbon will join us when we return. I am Tony Kornheiser. This is the Tony Kornheiser show. This is the SeatGeek ad. Do you ever feel like ticketing websites make getting to the event difficult on purpose because they're so big they get away without caring about the customer experience? Um, Michael, you've got the
1: SeatGeek app on your phone. I tell do. people how it works. Well, what's so great is you can search by event, but not just to see available seats. You can break it down by value, so you can you can try and limit yourself, saying, "Hey, I want to treat myself to a Nats game. Take my two boys for end of the season September baseball game, and I'm gonna I'm gonna go lower bowl. I'm going to say I'm looking for that green dot, but maybe I'm going into yellow if it means I can get into those seats that I've never been able to afford before. Okay.
0: Um, SeatGeek pulls together millions of tickets from all over the web, then it rates, as Michael is suggesting, each deal on a scale of 1 to 10. Finally, SeatGeek displays them on an interactive seat map. So you break down the details. Green dots mean good deals. Red dots are overpriced. Yellow dots are probably somewhere in the I think there's middle. a yellow dot. We'll see. Every ticket on SeatGeek is backed by their buyer guarantee, so you can shop for tickets with confidence. Don't worry. We've got the hookup for you. Use the code TONY for $20 off tickets at SeatGeek. Wow. That's $20 off your first purchase with the promo code TONY. Visit www.seatgeek.com or download the SeatGeek app today. Use the code TONY for $20 off your first SeatGeek order at www.seatgeek.com. Don't be stupid, people. Use the code. This is the Tony Kornheiser Show. Tony Kornheiser Show. This is sent to us by Richard Zuluga, S-C-E-L-U-G-A, not Zverluga, who writes, What a name, huh? I grew up loving the Yanks, Mantle, Berra, Maris Richardson, Boyer, all them guys. Started following the Cubs during the Jenkins, Banks, and Fergie years. Watched Buckner's Oops in some godforsaken dump of a motel somewhere in your neck of the woods on my way to a gig in New York. Go ahead and play some of my tunes if you can stand it. This is called Words Falling Down. It's from a band that he formed in the 80s called E-I-E-I-O. This is the first song he's going to play. He'll play later in the show as well. And he plays in Michael Wilbon. And we were going to start with Wilbon. There's no other way to start. Because Wilbon's affection for and involvement with Northwestern is, of course, legendary. Northwestern opened at home on Friday, before the start of the weekend, and they played Michigan State. Michigan State had a very odd um, year last year for Michigan State. Michigan State's a great program, and they were really lousy last year. And you went to that game, you watched that game in Evanston, and you guys got beat, and you were <sighs> chagrined coming out of that game, right? No.
2: No, no. I, I didn't expect to win the game. I um, I hoped. Um, but I know Tony, we don't reload just because we have a great year. we don't right. we're not that we're not that school um and so we have to actually build back something and there's there's there's, there's a new way to do that now at the transfer portal, and we have taken advantage of the past, the transfer portal, our last two starting quarterbacks have come from transfer, including this one, Hunter Johnson, the kid from Clemson who left Clemson. Uh, because there was a you know a babe coming that they knew was going to be a great 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 player, yeah. one of Clemson's great players, and he, you know he was first pick chosen. So no 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 no, I, I didn't. Um, I wasn't chagrined. I, I I wasn't happy, but I I knew what the possibilities were coming into this game given the people we lost. Tony, so we had guys, we we had people in our stands wearing the NFL jerseys of the people that left Northwestern last. Spring, this spring, this spring. I'm sorry. So no, no. I I think we can still be. We had a year a couple of years ago. We were we were one in three, and then we ran off eight straight to win. At the eight straight games that we won later in the season, we we got we lost our defensive coordinator. He retired. Um, you That's know, a right. love That's coach right. and uh, Hankelitz, and, and and no, it's all right. I mean, I. You know, I, I went to that game with fingers over, you know, spread over my eyes because I was a little bit worried that that could happen. And yet, you know, I know the score looks bad. That was 38-21 or something, something like that. But we had we had drives where we couldn't finish the drive. We had like three, we had three drives early that should have been touchdown drives, and, and, and we missed field goals. And that field goal is a veteran kid, the kicker is a veteran kid. But you know, it's the first game. We're, we're not a back to back. We're not, you know, we've been in the Big Ten championship game two out of the last three years. And Fitz has won like 10 games, like, I don't know, four times recently. But doesn't mean that the next year we're, we're not going to be Clemson or Georgia or Alabama. That's not the way things are going to go for us.
0: Let me get to the transfer rule because I left you a long voicemail about this and I'm trying to work out my own feelings about it. There is now transferring without penalty. You don't sit out a year, nothing happens to you. You transfer, and if you're unhappy where you are, you transfer and you go right to another school, even in the same conference. This is the one that where I go, Whoa, in the same conference, which allows me to believe that you don't really have to recruit high school kids anymore. You don't have to in football and basketball, you can recruit transfers who by the way are always better than high school kids because they've got at least one year of college under their belts and they understand college football and college coaching you can go right to the transfer portal and recruit a whole new team easier in basketball than in football but you can do that and when you combine that with the ability to make money on your name your image and your likeness to me this now feels like the wild wild west and it feels to me destructive i don't I am not in favor of of submerging people's rights. But I don't like the way I think this is going to go. You can talk me off this ledge if you want.
2: No, I like it. <laughs> Even though you do. I won't talk. I, I understand, Tony, your position. Fully. I understand it because it used to be mine. And um like so Michigan State, I think, had
0: seventeen transfer kids to the ninth. That's what you wrote. I me, think seventeen. Yeah.
2: Seventeen, and so you know. Look again, Northwestern can't. We can't. We can't remake our team instantly that way. We can't. I mean, just they're, they're different require. Different school. Schools have different missions. And ours, you know, I mean, ours is a different mission. And I'm not going to pop other team schools because they have a different mission than Northwestern. We we got. We we graduated more a higher percentage of our kids the last. Three years than any school. We caught Notre Dame. Notre Dame used to have that belt; they could put that belt around their, you know, their waists. Um, Notre Dame used to be that school. Northwestern is that school now, and so we can't do that. But yet, I just as I said, Hunter Johnson transferred to Northwestern from Clemson. Right. right. So I'm not gonna. I'm not going No. This is the world we live in. And, and and Tony, what it is? It's pro football. You're going to be compensated, right? You're going to have That's right. rights that college kids did not have. Jim, Jim Brown, your favorite college football player of all time, did not have that. Tony, it used to be that if you transferred in conference, you had, you had to sit, sit out
0: two A whole two years. You had to sit in the big. You had camp. to sit one year camp. for anywhere and two years in conference, right, conference. so that yeah. coaches could keep their jobs, Mike. So they didn't have to worry about poaching within the conference, which well, to me makes I sense. Know it was,
2: but I don't know if it's about keeping their jobs because the, the great coaches are going to keep their jobs no matter what. It was so they could have control. They don't have that kind of control now, and so you you can. But but coaches also realize they can keep their jobs. Michigan State had this bad year last year. You know how you can not have a bad year and keep your job? Go to go to the transfer portal. That's right. Seventeen kids. That's right. So we you know we can we can go to the transfer portal. We can also you know we can also recruit freshmen and live with it. And so the difference is. The Northwestern coach could keep his job because the Northwestern alums and boosters are not going to say, we're going to buy you out because you went five and seven, if if that was to be the case. We're not going to do that. So different missions, and people better understand what their school's missions are.
0: So let me get to some other games, and I'll tell you the ones that were very surprising to me. And by the way, I was so glad, and I know Mike feels the same way. We had David Pollock on on Friday, yeah,
3: and Pollock great, was great
0: and got about everything right. Let's start with, in your conference, Indiana-Iowa. Wow, I didn't see that coming. Iowa killed Indiana. These were yeah, two teams that, that were preseason rated. Did you see that yeah, coming?
2: Yeah, st- not necessarily. But there's right? no, you know what, Tony? There's no result, really, from the first week that surprises me. Um even if, I love, I love the fact that somebody, they picked, some people, some, I don't know who came up with it, calling it week zero, you know, um, week zero games, which is kind of fun to hear. Um, that's about styles. I mean, it, it, Tony, Indiana's one of those schools I'm talking about, too. Indiana had a terrific year last year. Yep. You know, they played a great game against Ohio State. They,
0: they, and brought the quarterback Penn
2: State, back. Penn State. Yes. But... You know, Indiana's, Indiana's just trying to figure out how to live um, on the top floors of college football. And so, Iowa has been closer to that over the last 20 years. So, Indiana's going to have to live with these growing pains, and this is part of it. So, I'm, I'm, I, I didn't see it coming, but I'm not surprised.
0: Right. Okay. UCLA, LSU. Are you going to tell that, me you're not was surprised? That wasn't a surprise. That wasn't a, <laughs> well, was a surprise. But, Tony... First of all, LSU,
2: they're still smarting from trying to rebuild from that team they had two years ago with the quarterback of
0: Cincinnati, first overall pick.
2: And UCLA ought to be better. UCLA's been an embarrassment.
0: Yes, they have been. Oh,
2: the, the Chip Kelly slurpage issue, you know how I feel about that. I like Chip Kelly personally, and I think Chip Kelly can coach. But this presumption that Chip Kelly was going to leave like three good seasons at Oregon and become George Hallis was just dumb. And there were a whole lot of people at our network who, who thought that Chip Kelly, they were on the, the bandwagon. I was not on the mm-hmm. bandwagon. Mm-hmm. Um, and so UCLA should be better than it has been. So good for them. Good for them. I, I think they're still, speaking of growing pains, I think that the, the, the Chip Kelly and UCLA, they're not, they're not through the rough waters yet. But it was cool. I kept saying to Matthew. We got to watch some UCLA. He's like, "Damn, why? I mean, UCLA's terrible." I'm like, "Well, Matty, teams go from being terrible to not terrible. That that happens. Um, I don't think the LSU is going to be terrible. I think the LSU could be a seven and five team. Um, and they got some issues. But Tony, the, again, the transfer portal and name, image, likeness that helps you.
0: If it you helps. cannot it master does. that,
2: you can take advantage it of does. that. Then you can go worst to first, baby, is pro football.
0: 11-21 and, and 21 was Chip Kelly's record in three years. It's terrible. 11-21. Yeah. And, 21, it was and he just beat a team. At
2: Nebraska.
0: Yeah, he beat a team that was number one in the country two years ago. LSU. How about they Illinois? How about after season. I
2: slugged Illinois and Bill? They got how about killed.
0: That? They, yeah. Probably like so
2: Texas they, San Antonio or something. I mean, they, <laughs> they, got, they got crushed. And people are mad at Illinois. People are mad at Champagne. I of course I, la- I loved that result, and Tony, totally because I didn't see that coming, I didn't even turn to the game.
0: Yeah, but you what know, did you I think mean, of Georgia Clemson, a defensive not, game? You must have felt good much. about that. No, really, I just really I didn't, I, I, no,
2: no. I, I'm glad it wasn't 55-45, but I you know I I don't know. I, I thought there were some good college football games. And I thought there was some that people were going to, including myself, were going to overreact to. Um, and I think that's likely one of them. Likely. Like, I don't, I don't know. What, what does it mean? Like, immediately, I got started getting texts from, from, from my friends in my text chain who are college football fanatics. And it was like, you know, Clemson's season is going to be done. I'm like, no, it's not. These these schools that play the kind of schedules that Clemson does, where they go out. And they play a couple of non-conference games that you, you go oh my god, if they lose this they could no no because no. Clemson could lose two games, rattle off ten wins, that's right, and still be in the mix.
0: That's right. You know right.
2: when they when they start the voting in week seven or whatever it is, and I, so I don't I don't think that, that that's the end of the season for those schools.
0: All right, let me get to the freshman quarterback at Alabama and the sort of amazing way that they do reload. And they lose their entire offensive line and defensive line in the first round. Every year. They are that good. And they're that good. They appear to be that good again. Yes?
2: Yes. Um, again, it's early. i got to see yep. more games yep. in Miami. David Pollack told us Miami's not any good.
0: That's right. So he was right.
2: I, I'm informed right. by that. And I'm telling you, I don't like little quarterbacks.
0: <laughs> He's sorry. little. This guy's I, little. 5'10". I know there's
2: Doug yep. Flutie. You know, I, now, I, I spend part of my life in a town that has a little quarterback professionally. And he can be wondrous at times. But he can also get swatted like a bug flying, right. you know, uptown against a windshield. So let's see how that goes. I, I know that, I mean, for Nick Saban to select him as a starting quarterback, QB1, as everybody likes to say, at Alabama, it means the kid can play. The kid can play. Let's just see. Let I, I I'm. Let's see. Not, not only am I not rooting against him, I'm rooting for him. But let's see. Um, so Alabama again looks great because they're going to be great. Great meaning Alabama's going to crush virtually everybody. And he closed those doors, Maddie. I'm sorry to wake you up at 5 a.m., buddy, but you got a flight anyway. Close those doors. We're in Arizona, Tony, and they're to go back home. They're coming back home today. Uh, While well, I am, not, it's a
0: beautiful day here but, today beautiful day.
2: Only, Yeah, we oh, got a beautiful, beautiful day. day. It's going to be a little on the on the toasty side. But as, as as summer finally winds down, it's not over yet. But um I, I don't I got to see these that this kid is tiny. Yeah, he is. Traveled back. He Alabama. is. So let's, he let's is. You, you know, are you are you convinced already that he's No. You know, going to be fully formed?
0: No, I'm not. I'm I'm not convinced, but I am I marvel <laughs> At uh, the way Saban does it, year after year after year after year, I, I do. I marvel yeah. at that. Yeah, yeah, he, I'll get he you does, out of here on this. Crazy. Bears open this week. Um, yeah. There is controversy in town about the quarterback, not out of town, because most people say, "Well, let the coach do what he wants to do." Your thoughts about the Bears in in what is sort of an improving division? I think. I think people
2: are up. People are high on Minnesota. I, I, I'm not. Um, and the, the Lions are going to be the same direct they usually are. Yeah, I, I don't know. I don't. I, I guess the Packers are going to be really good again. I guess. And so the wild card in this improving division scenario, if you believe in it, is the Bears. Um, and I don't. There. See, here is what happens. I texted Greeny this because i get up. You know, most of our analysts they think that Andy Dalton should not start the first game. That Matt that he right. is wrong. And that he should start Justin Fields. And I'm I'm not with that. Because I, unlike those guys who cover 30 teams, 32, I, I follow one closely like that now. And that team, the Chicago Bears, has what could be the worst offensive line I have seen from the Bears, I don't know, since the Abe Gibron days, where... Walter, one of the reasons you can make the argument that Walter Payton is the greatest football player of all time is because he, he, he is still the second best back statistically in history. And he had they, – they drafted linemen, and they got linemen, and they, those linemen were great. But when he got there, I, they didn't have that. The Bears line now, it stinks. It stinks. They went and got a guy off the scrap heap from Philadelphia who's 40 years old, yeah. and they think
0: he's yeah. the best lineman they've got. Peters, yeah.
2: So for all of the analysts who know a hell of a lot more about this than I do, no, no. I, I, I said to, uh, to, to Tom Waddle, who you, who you know now, I said to Tommy Waddle, who played for the Chicago Bears, and Tommy Waddle's watching these games through spread fingers too. I, I, I just said, Tommy, they're going to get this kid killed. And, and, and Tommy doesn't want to subscribe to that. He's a professional football player. But Tommy Waddle knows what he sees. And he played on the offensive side of the ball. The Bears' offensive line, I don't, I don't know how you can put this kid out there the first couple of years. People just say, oh, well, he gives him the best chance to win. They don't have any chance to win against the Los Angeles Rams if, if he's running for his life every snap. And that's who they play. So you're going to send him out the first game against Aaron Donald, Really? And so I, I said to Greeny, don't, don't fall for the oakti joke. What are you talking about? To remind these guys, I, I watch just the Bears now closely like this. It's a dreadful offensive line, and we drafted this kid. We moved up. People are more excited about him than we've been about any player in that uniform maybe in my life because people did not know Walter Payton coming out of Jackson State, even though he was the fourth player chosen in the draft. In 1965, people did know about Dick Butkus because he's a Chicagoan. So, okay, maybe since Butkus. Butkus and Sayers were chosen in the same draft. How about that? How about you get Pretty Dick good. Butkus and Gail Sayers three and four, respectively? So Okay, so let's just go since then. That's Mike Singletary. Okay, maybe. Richard Dick came out of, what, Tennessee State? People didn't know how great Richard Dick was in 1983. They didn't know. He, yes, these guys became Hall of Famers. But the town is more excited over Justin Fields. And I know, because I lived here then, and I'm back here a lot now, back there a lot now. So I'm going to watch this game. I'm excited. I love this kid. I want this kid to turn the fortunes of this team around. I want, the, I want the kid to even save Matt Nagy's job, which is what is going to be necessary. Like, Matt, Matt Nagy's still going to get fired if, they, if, they, if they're losing to the team, Tony. So we go into this season with, like <laughs> – I, told, I, said, I said on ESPN Radio in Chicago, I am terrified of this line and what's going to happen to this kid.
0: All right. We'll see. He'll probably play pretty opposition? early. Cause, how about that? Well, Andy Dalton will get, he'll have, have his legs broken, and the kid will have to go in. All right. I will, what, I will dude? see you tomorrow. Right. What? I'll I see I was you tomorrow.
2: Say, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We'll, we'll see you tomorrow. This is the first big week. I, can't, I, I don't love the tennis, even though you know how much I love tennis. Um, this is the Tony Kornheiser position. All the stars are gone. They are. Um, they are. And, I, and we'll, we'll talk about this some other time. This will be a nice tease. All of the black people in America who follow tennis hate tennis right now. They hate the U.S. Open. And they want an invest. We, even though I, I can come to some rational point on this, we want the U.S. Open investigated for pitting every single black player of renown against another black player in the first two rounds of the tournament.
0: Oh, is that what happened? Is, is I, yeah, I'm, I'm unaware of yeah, that. So. Oh, we we'll have, we'll have Liz Clark on next. We can ask her about
2: well, that. Yeah, I, I, I don't know that Liz is going to have kept up with that,
0: but right.
2: in the house right. I live in, in all the text chains I'm on, where there are people who have followed tennis since Arthur Ashe, I tried to spin that in my house in that direction. I said, wait a minute. This stuff is done by a computer
3: that's and what I would have thought. When I was growing I up.
2: Thought. I had one black person in route four. I didn't have rounds of black people, men and women, playing against each other like like, like Tia, Tiafoe last night, playing against this kid from Canada, who is apparently going to be a beast. I am just dealing with chains, text chains, to <laughs> say I'm sorry. How is it that the U.S. Open? Has pitted every single black player against another black player. Before we get to the second week, the U.S. Open is just black folks gritting their teeth, saying, "Really? You know, if if this was Mm. ten years ago, they would just had they would have just tried Venus and Serena out in the first round to
0: play each other."
2: And I don't know how it's done. Ask Liz how how these how these seeds are set early early in the you know to start the tournament.
0: Have a good trip. I'll talk to you, Michael Wilbon, boys and girls. We'll take a break. As I said, Liz Clark will join us when we return. I hope I'm Tony Kornheiser. This is the Tony Kornheiser Show. This is a Zip Recruiter ad. There are some things in life that I like to pick out myself, so I know I've got the one that's best for me, like cuts of steak and mattresses and bottles of wine. And I've told you, mattresses, cuts of steak, yeah. What if you could do the same thing for hiring? Choose your ideal candidate before they even apply. That's where ZipRecruiter's Invite to Apply comes in. It gives you, as the hiring manager, the power to pick your favorites, from top candidates, and right now you can try it for free at ZipRecruiter.com slash Tony. How does Invite to Apply work? When you post a job on ZipRecruiter, they send you the most qualified people for your job. Then you can easily review the candidates and invite your top choices to apply for your job. Lauren Webb, the vice president of talent acquisitions for Mindula Health, raves about ZipRecruiter's Invite to Apply. She says, I'm quoting here, I love that feature because we have a much higher follow-through rate if I invite the candidates. It's easy for me. It's easy for them. In fact, according to ZipRecruiter internal data, jobs where employees use ZipRecruiter's invite to apply gets on average two and a half times more candidates, which helps for a faster hiring process. See for yourself. Just go to this exclusive web address, ZipRecruiter.com slash Tony, to try ZipRecruiter for free. That's ZipRecruiter.com slash Tony. ZipRecruiter, it's the smartest way to hire. I'll just add parenthetically, I don't really hire people I've never had that experience. But it seems to me that um, if they have my name on a website for hiring, it just makes me very happy. (laughs) I hope all you (laughs) listeners out there need to hire people because I don't. You're listening to The Tony Kornheiser Show.
3: The Tony Kornheiser Show.
0: Once again, this is Richard Zaluga. This is a new band that he's with. It's called The Nineteens. They have a debut album called American Muscle. Um, oh no, that's I, the song Oh, that's the song, American Muscle It is from the album called The Nineteens This is really good yeah. These guys are good um, We haven't heard from Saluga before This stuff's really good The band is The Nineteens, David Spencer Does the lead vocals Saluga does the bass who else is in this band? The drummer is Bun E. Carlos. The guitarist is Rick Pemberton. The keyboardist is Jim Weston. And all the songs are co-written by Spencer and Zaluga. Very, very good. Michael, if people like the 19s want to send us their original music, how do they do it? Send
1: us your music by emailing it to jingles at
0: tonykornheisershow.com. You can listen to it when we're done and it's better than us. Liz Clark joins us now. She is covering the U.S. Open and Flushing Meadow. I did this when I was a kid. I did it. I covered the U.S. Open in Forest Hills, which I revered. It was the first time I got to meet Billie Jean King and Jimmy Connors and Chris Everett and Ilya Nastasi and people like that, and it was the most favorite thing that I ever did. But when it moved to Flushing Meadow, it took on a night component, which is great for people who watch, but brutal for people who cover. It's actually brutal. <laughs> I was a columnist. When I went for the post, <laughs> so I could pick out the match I wanted and pick out the column I wanted. And if the match turned out bad, I could flip and I could switch and it was easy. But when you are Liz Clark and you have to get there by 10 in the morning and you're there till 2 in the morning, I mean, it is an 18-hour day every single day. And that's not counting the travel at some I mean. You volunteer for this, so I'm not. I'm not going to let you out easy. But this is the hardest, longest thing that anybody ever covers. Is it not? You
4: know, these words mean so much to me. First, because they will explain my sleepy voice. Um, but, but more importantly, I think in the it's an abstraction to people. Oh, you cover Wimbledon, or you cover the U.S. Open. They picture you like in a lawn chair sipping, you know, <laughs> yeah. an iced tea and covering. Yep. You. This, this like very measured thing that like it's part vacation, part work. It is a backbreaking grind, you know, yes. of 14 hour days that are, you know, as you say, the hours you see are accurate. There's the, uh, um, but it's so emotionally charged, especially the first week. You don't know where the news is going to come from. It's not like covering a Super Bowl where is a reporter or writer, okay, I have a narrative in mind if this team wins and another if this team wins. You know, you have to have 128 narratives in mind when it starts, to, you know, more or less for the men and the women. You just don't know where the news is going to break out, where the upset's going to be. You want a plan so you can actually report, but then you have to throw that out. And then, of course, all the drama often is, Purposely loaded for the latest possible night match,
0: you know, for TV. That's
4: right. It's like, oh my god! And this year, I came. I haven't covered the U.S. Open for a while. Um, I've done other Slams, but uh, and of course, there were no fans. So I came to this one thinking, boy, there really aren't going to be many stories it you know, no Federer, no Nadal, Serena. It, it, I'm going to search for a narrative. It's going to be tough. Nobody's going to read. And can I even sustain two weeks of stories? Now, I'm not sure anybody's reading. We'll leave that to the side. I'm still doing my very best. But there's stories everywhere. And there's emotional power coming from places I didn't expect. I just didn't see this coming. So I, I'm exhausted, and but but very exhilarated by what I'm seeing. You know, it's not like, gee, I'm going to complain about my job. I love my job, but uh, it's hard. Thank you, Tony. It is hard.
0: <laughs> yeah, it gets a, it gets a little better by Thursday of the second week, but the first ten days yeah. of this. The first 10 days of this are absolutely brutal, and I know this because this is mm. one of the things that, that I have done. I am not going to talk about Djokovic because I hate him so much. I just cannot talk rationally about him. I'm going to spare you <laughs> that whole thing. I'm not going to deal with it. So, But well, I am going to talk about
4: yes.
0: – go ahead. What were you going to say? No. So,
4: no, I was just going to say we've plowed that ground, so that's good. Yeah. I got, yeah. Good with me. Yeah.
0: Go. But I have a new person that I hate, and that's Sissipa. so we're going to talk <laughs> about him. and then. But we're going to start, let's start with Naomi Osaka, because now this, this oh. is now a repetitive pattern. This is something that has happened at the French, it's now happened at the U.S. Open, it's happened at the Olympics. This is a young athlete who it seems to, and make, makes a tremendous amount of money, and who is incredibly talented, and does not seem happy. Does not seem Mm -hmm. happy in her chosen profession. Uh, First thing I would ask you, is this her or is this her team pushing her? What are you seeing when you see someone who is is just not happy?
4: You know, this is the hardest topic uh, because I'm not 100% sure, obviously. I mean, none of us are. None of us is. Um, And... Each of the episodes you've cited, I think, have been kind of different from one another, and probably the triggers have been different from one another. But the one thing that we know is true, because she actually said it, and I saw it, you know, most recently, was that she has lost the joy in her sport. And there aren't many things an athlete could say that would bring me to tears uh, you know more again it's an individual sport you're alone it's not like you're on the u.s women's soccer team and you have fierce women lifting you up when you have a bad day right. you are alone right. and she's 23 she is shy very soft-spoken she's it grew up fairly insular you know with a, a close-knit family you know and um and she after this loss the other night, that included completely uncharacteristic meltdown. It, and, and that's such a cliche, but you know, banging her racket, smashing her racket, throwing her racket, blasting a ball. I mean, an on-court, you know, m- misbehavior that was pretty epic. Not at all in her persona. Um, you know, so she had lost control of her game and her her very managed. On court behavior. The point I'm lumbering toward is she said in the interview afterward, I, I, when I win matches, I, I am not happy. I feel only relief. And when I lose, I'm very, very sad. And I don't think this is normal. And, and, and I, like, my heart just went to my, floor, you know. And and of course, that's all that need be said. If you love her, if you care about her, if you buy a ticket to see her, no one wants to see a 23-year-old best in the world at her chosen profession admit that this profession at this moment brings her no happiness. So absolutely take a pause. Absolutely walk away. And when you come back is not our concern. It's not you know you do what matters and you have other options and and most of us are lucky to have other options in in life if you are in a horrible relationship or you know you it's not easy to change jobs but you can sort of start pursuing another avenue so i don't know what's ahead for her i don't know the timing There's really only one major tournament of consequence left. The slams are over, but there's one in October she was planning to play. I don't think we'll see her there, but who knows? But um, it's it's heartrending. so I don't don't know where her joy has gone.
0: So I, um, as a younger person, not as a young person, but as a younger person, I Mm -hmm. found myself in places like Atlantic City and Las Vegas, when those were the only places that you could gamble legally. And I felt yeah. I understood sports betting and I would bet on sports here and there. And what I yeah. found, and I do not gamble at all anymore, And, what I, and not because I lost a lot of money, but because of what I'm going to say, which is I took no joy in winning and I hated losing. Uh, so why was I doing uh, it? Why, so I stopped, uh, I stopped doing it. And this, on a very smaller level, obviously, it sounds like Osaka. She may be in the wrong business. She, yeah, uh, she's maybe. great. She may be in the wrong business and it may be better for her. And I'm sure she will try to come back, but it may be that she will be facing this all the time. And what always concerns me when people talk about my team, what always concerns me is that you're not acting out of your best and your own self-interest. You're mm-hmm. acting out of what a bunch of people around you tell you to yeah. do. And I think yeah. of that with Naomi Osaka, but I don't know.
4: You know. It's a legit question because she does talk about her team a lot, but as does Ash yep. Barty, talks about her team a lot. And, and we know Ash Barty get, walked away from tennis um, it, it, because, because she lost her joy. She walked away for yep. like a year and a half. She played cricket, you know, and she played a whole yeah. other sport. And she comes back just so solid in every regard. She is the captain of her ship. You know, this is a very fierce competitor and woman. When she speaks about her team, it is generosity, and you know, it's you just get every positive vibe. With Naomi, it's so tricky to read. Um, I don't have any sense that her team is forcing her to do anything, but I understand why it's a question. You know, because because it is bringing her you no know, joy, uh, and there is something. Even though she's twenty-three, which I want to believe you are the captain of your own ship. You know, she is so not just in the national spotlight or spotlight of her sport. She's in a global spotlight. I mean, she lit the cauldron at the Olympics. She is the face of a nation. She is the face of, you know, a whole segment of women who feel, you know, unheard, You know, they're not listened to. She is a champion, you know, in the eyes of so many. So she is shouldering so much more than a number three tennis player necessarily would, partly because she has sought that out, you know, because she's wanted to take a stand on some things and be more than a tennis player. So, I, you know, when she says, I think I'm going to take a break, I have to believe that is her calling the shots. And, and that I also have to believe that's the, a good step. In, in a, but, but we will see.
0: Because this is not, here's what's not going away. The essence of the competition is not going away. You're going to be a solitary athlete. You're going to have to get through the draw the the whole time. You're going to have to tough it out physically to do this. And if emotionally it's not there for you, it's not going to work. Right? This is not going to work. It's
3: not
4: going to work. But I want to be clear. The thing that is bringing her, at least, I mean, it, it is not, a venomous media attacking her in press oh, no, conferences, no. which I think some people have that impression, um, and she would tell you that's not not it either. And if we can keep it between the lines, she is really damn fierce. I mean, she is a pow- she has a power game. She's mentally strong on court, but she said the other day, you know, I'm not one. She didn't use the word compartmentalized, but that was the gist. Saying, I am not one of those athletes that leaves everything emotionally off court. And then the court is my haven. And when I'm on court, I do my thing. And then I go back and deal with life. She's like, it all bleeds together for me, whatever's going on in my life is on, is me on court, you know? And so that, that's dicey. Um, and, and that will be a problem. You know, all champion athletes have to be selfish focused uh, on the court and think of nothing else, but
0: but That's winning. right. And she's Everybody has to be Michael baggage. Jordan. She's
4: carrying yeah. baggage. And she's Michael got Jordan got on the court.
0: Didn't yeah. matter what happened. Didn't matter. It's yeah. great. Yeah. All
3: right, absolutely. let me get to, let me so, get
0: to go ahead. somebody let me not as complicated. Sitsipas, who I hate. <laughs> I hate him. Um, <laughs> I believe that with these bathroom breaks, which you yeah. uh, accurately called Pottygate, I believe <laughs> that, that w- the deal with this guy is he will observe the letter of the law, but not the spirit of the law. I understand why other players hate him. This is strategic on his part. It's it's a combination of whimsy and strategy, and he's, he's icing his players, his opponents, and then he's coming back and destroying them, and there's something wrong to me with the advantage he gets by doing mm-hmm. this. It's wrong mm-hmm. to me, and I wonder mm-hmm. how you feel about it.
4: Yes. So I do not hate him. Um, but I, I take a big thumbs down to to the tactics. And I do see them as tactics, not an issue of your bladder. Um, That's right. You know that he's, he's deploying. But I, I know you. The time is not limitless. So let me blurt out a couple things. I think he is fascinating. I think he has a beautiful game. Um, I think he could be one of the more intriguing personalities in tennis. He's an avid reader. He loves philosophy, loves travel. He vlogs. He's like a citizen of the world. He has this, uh, you know, very interesting set of parents, Greek and Russian. He has elements of both in him. Um, He really is a delightful, open mind. Now, he did not invent this tactic, So, A, the rule says you can take a bathroom break. In fact, you can take two if you're a man at a Grand Slam. And it does not say how long, because at some tournaments, the bathroom is two steps off the court. At some, it's a three-minute walk, right? So there's no time limit. But decorum and respect means you do your business in and out, and it should take, like, two, three minutes. Um, You don't change clothes.
0: It's not a spa. No,
4: you don't meditate. You don't, um, you don't receive texts from your dad during that. It's like he swears he's not doing. He's been accused of that. But, you know, he takes a bag. The cell phone is, could be in there. So there's that question of is he getting coaching there. But, but there's a cruelty that, that you're probably aware of but you're not missing. When you take a seven-minute, eight-minute, full-stop break, and you do this as a 23-year-old against a 34-year-old man who playing killing on a him. metal hip. You yeah. are destroying him. You are making him seize up like the engine of an old car. You cannot have a full stop. You know, And no amount of pacing and agitating and taking pretend serves is for the athlete left dangling there, who's 34, hoping his body doesn't seize up, is going to make that okay. And he did it on back-to-back nights against a 34-year-old and a 33-year-old back-to-back matches. And it it worked. Now, uh, it didn't work against the 18-year-old Carlos Alvarez, who beat him. Mm. But um, the break wasn't as long. But also, the entire Ash was doing the Tony Kornheiser, we now hate you. And so was was fighting the crowd. So I don't think which he's ever he brought get on himself, right? Yeah, he brought know, that on himself. Oh, yeah. Right. But we've yeah. seen the the trouble you make for yourself if you get that crowd against you at a night match. It's done. And this crowd this year is more vocal, more partisan, in a way, more vicious than ever. And I think it has to do with not being there last year. So um, well, I had something. Oh, oh. The last thing I want to say is C.T. plus did not invent this tactic, strategy. Djokovic did. Yeah, well, it, I would say, yeah, Djokovic did. He certainly did most recently, but yeah. I think there was precedent before that. I mean, James Blake, who I talked to, who hasn't played in years, is like, this is the oldest time. People using this, you know, gray rule to their advantage. So I don't think Djokovic invented it, but most famously, most vividly, he would not have won the French Open, which gave him the 20th major, just this summer, if he hadn't done this. And he did it at least three times that I can think of. Yeah, um,
3: not yeah, to yeah.
4: older men, but he did it. He was in the final two sets down. And then we don't see him for several minutes. And he comes back completely restored. Against Nadal, he did it in the semis. So again, it's legal. Let me be clear. Change but the rule. Make it illegal.
0: It's not have yeah, people monitored when they're in there. And, and, and by the way, change your clothes like the other men do. Just change them outside. Mm-hmm. I mean, when yeah, you come and back I, and, you know, just, I just. No, and like I make no it a, a five
4: minute thing and then uh, deduct a point for every 30 seconds you're late.
0: Good you for know, you. It'll, That's it'll a good idea. All right. Thank you, Liz. Enjoy if you can. Thank I'll you. talk to you soon. I will. Liz, okay, bye. Liz Clark, boys and girls, we will take a break. We will come back with an email and a jingle. I'm Tony Kornheiser. You're listening listening
3: to The Tony Kornheiser Show. Hey! I live in a beach house in my home, it's in the middle of my block. I show up for a weekend visit and there's a parcel out front. Who dropped this funnel up cause I know that I... Filled with Syracuse Morehouse ties, they sent a box of that, and I told everybody, "Hey, hey, you, you get off of my porch, don't hang around. You are gonna get off my porch." But of Who course, did that? thanks for That's the great. Ties.
0: That's Even great. Even Salisa's getting one. Who is that? That's Steve Lipton. That's fantastic. Have we played <laughs> that before? And it just lost. I lost my memory of it. No, that is a brand new jingle. Yeah. Well, you didn't tell me. You didn't give me a heads up on that. That's great. No, look, oh, a, I'm Look sorry. at your reaction. Wow, that is wonderful. <laughs> That's Get Off My Cloud by the Rolling Stones. Get Off My Porch. That's wonderful. Thank you to Steve Lipton. Michael, do the Bethesda Bagel ad for me.
1: Uh, yes, Bethesda Bagel. We have bagels with the locks and cream cheese today to celebrate uh, the new year this week. What's so great is I walk in now. They know me. They had the bag on the ready. No that's way exchanged.
0: Yeah, uh, yeah what is Russia? Shona starts tomorrow night, I believe. Yes. All right, but happy New Year to everybody. Luchana tova. That's it for us today. Before we get to the mailbag, let me just say, up in the morning, out to school, teachers teaching the golden rule, American history, practical math, study them hard, hoping to pass, working your fingers down to the bone, and the guy behind you won't leave you alone. That's Chuck Berry, boys and girls. Am I right on that, Chuck Berry? You are one hundred percent correct, sir. Of course I am. I don't miss on <laughs> Chuck Berry. Thanks to our guests, Mike Wilbon, Liz Clark. Thanks to our sponsors, SeatGeek, ZipRecruiter. Remember, you can listen to us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Play, and Odyssey. If you get the show through Apple Podcasts, please leave us a review. A lovely, melancholy haiku for Willard Scott from Shad, a DC icon, consummate entertainer. Rest in peace, Willard. Um, you know, that was Willard Scott, very much a part of our lives for a long period of time. Oh, sure, I, I actually thought he was older. Um, he was 87, which is a good ripe old age, which is good age. But I thought he was older than that. From Patrick Sitter in Sioux Falls. Dear Dr. Fall Flavor Fan, since it is the season, I'm sure you've already gotten your pumpkin at Duncan. But have you heard about this? Bud Light is launching a pumpkin spice hard seltzer as part of its Fall Variety Pack. The pack also includes toasted marshmallow, maple pear, and apple crisp. While I don't know you personally, I have a feeling you might be a toasted marshmallow kind of guy. I enjoy. P.S. I heard they're working on Shim Shim Sharif flavor as well. I hate pumpkin, um, but these are, this is, it's a hard this is alcohol, yeah. right? This is alcohol. Yeah, it's In like those dangerous sorts of path. flavors, maple pear and apple crisp. Yeah. Aren't you trying to attract teenagers and get so them drunk? It. Yeah. Uh, Chris Milmo in Cooperstown, New York. This is an important one. Been listening to your show for a few years. Remember you saying how you wanted to live in Cooperstown, New York someday? My father is buddies with Howard Feynman, if that helps get your attention. He came and watched a tape of show once at Chatter. My cousin is selling the perfect house for you, right down the street from downtown, with lake views and a large perimeter wall for privacy. It also comes with a guest house. Here's the Zillow link to check it out. Michael, tell people what you did because oh, I want to buy this house.
1: You texted me. You did not know how to use Zillow, so I then don't know how- you, me, and Liz Zillow went Willow. through the Zillow listings, through every picture, and talked about how we could use this through the seasons. Rented. It's got a professional kitchen, a ton of bathrooms, and there's a mural that seems to be depicting scenes from Last of the Mohicans. So it turns out, James Fenimore Cooper's brother built the house. We think so. So, how can we? Is it still for sale? I think it's still for sale. If Chris the, Milmo the guest can house, get the guest me. house is a, is modern. It's updated. It's winterized. I think you're going to live in the guest house. So you're going to use the best. We, we then talked about you the wanted part- to rent it out. We talked about the part time job that you'd get at the Hall of Fame. Right. I want to be a, a greeter,
0: a greeter at the Hall of Fame, like at Walmart. That's what I want to do. Um, and I could walk from this house. Although I have to tell play you... Play leather stocking. Do you know... Yeah, play leather stocking all the time and drink on the veranda The the
1: Saga. Do you oh, know how the cold service?
0: it gets in October, November, December? The pictures December? they use for
1: the Zillow listing include the lake frozen over. It's so cold there.
0: I don't know. From Kevin Disher in Bay City, Michigan, your tributes to two musical guests last Monday and Wednesday were almost identical in construction. After glowing elegies to both Don Everly and Charlie Watts, you made violent and seemingly non-sequitur shifts to members of the Nets bullpen. On second thought, you were moving smoothly from men who made great hits to men who give up a great many of hits. Both DFA Get out. Get out. You got nobody out. So, Swero comes in and looks great, of course, because you're down six in the ninth. The Nats Get out. keep on giving. They're keeping the entire division alive. From Craig Vignone in Farmington, Connecticut. Farmington, Connecticut, a suburb of, of uh, Bristol, Connecticut, basically. An exurb. This is interesting. This past Friday, I had the opportunity to see Dan Byrne perform live here in Connecticut. After playing several of his non-sports and non-show-related songs, Dan told the audience that he often sends material into a sports podcast called The Tony Kornheiser Show. Zero response. He then added that perhaps people may recognize Tony Kornheiser from the long-running PTI program in which he fights with Michael Wilbon, close quote. Still no response. Dan then started playing MLBLB from Thursday's show, perhaps sensing that it was not connecting with this particular audience. He faded out and stopped after the first verse. During the ensuing awkward silence, I was inspired for the first time in my life to yell out, "La Cheeserie. La cheeserie. Dan looked out into the darkness towards me, raised his fist a la Tommy Smith and John Carlos, and said, all right, I'll play it for you, before starting over and playing it in its entirety. The song did get applause. After the show, I was able to approach Mr. Byrne and tell him how much I enjoyed his performance, and that I think the stuff he sends into your show is brilliant. Oh, he said, you're a little... Also a first for me. We chatted for a short while about your show, his show, and some of the material. As talented as a singer and songwriter as Dan Byrne is, he's even more gracious and a lovely person. And so much more than a jingle writer. His other material is brilliant as well. I look forward to what else he may contribute to your show and to seeing him perform live again whenever I can. I cannot encourage your audience enough to do the same. I'll close with some very unpopular support from my fellow nutmegger, Moore Saliza. Isn't that a great email? Yeah, should have right.
1: opened up with Hen Party.
0: From, yes, from <laughs> Matt Land of Ozzo, Olathe, Kansas. Olathe, Kansas. Dear Mr. Tony, any episode where we can hear words of wisdom from Mr. Kirkchin himself is pure listening bliss. It reminded me of a game he, Eddie Perez, and Ravi called on July 7th of this year, Ravitch. And that is just knock but foul, Ravage having flashbacks to opening day a few years ago, the first pitch Cubs, similar swing, home run right to lead the season off Kirkchin. against Jose Urena. The only other guy to do that was Dwight Evans off of Jack Morris, 1988. Ravage, you think he was the only pitcher whose last name starts with you to give up a home run to the first battery faced in a season? Perez begins to chuckle. Kirkchen, are you mocking me now? Ravitch, I thought you'd know the answer to that. That's something you'd have in your back pocket. Thanks for all the laughs. Hope this brought you one. Love the court From Joey Vosters I finally had my David Aldridge moment listening to last Wednesday's show with Steve Sands talking about the Evans Scholarship Program during the golf segment. I said, I know that scholarship because I was an Evans Scholar at University of Wisconsin from 2002 to 2006. The scholarship absolutely changed my life, and I'm forever grateful. Also, nothing beats the weird look of disbelief you get from people for the rest of your life when you tell them you went to school on a caddy scholarship. It's just lovely. Alex Lau in New York City. Even though you declined to have the offer, uh, have the podcast hosts from Girls Throw 2 as guests on your podcast— I wanted to offer you the chance to have me, host of the Huntington High School Class of 2009 Fantasy Football Podcast, on as a guest. (laughs) My podcast goes out to 12 people in my fantasy league, two of whom, myself and my brother, already listen to your podcast. So I can't imagine you want to pass up on this opportunity to reach more people and then return the favor by coming on my podcast. Thanks. I'll hang up and listen. I love you, Alex. I'm not doing that. From Trey Watson in Lexington, Kentucky. Nigel, be on week three. to Brandon (laughs) Costello's wonderful song playing in Jeff Passan on Monday's podcast. You remarked how you can hear the crickets in the breezeway of his house. I have to ask, where the hell in Lexington did Brandon Costello live? All I can hear during the summer nights is the constant buzzing of something that sounds like a cricket and a cicada had a tone-deaf love child. And the constant (laughs) blast of fireworks followed by my phone buzzing with next-door app notifications asking, were those just gunshots or were those fireworks? I tried last (laughs) night. I didn't hear one. Not one damn cricket. So where, oh where, Mr. Tony, does this idyllic cricket-filled part of Lexington, Kentucky, that Mr. Costello resides, or does he just live somewhere else and just change the name of it to Lexington? And P.S. Tell all the Jeremiah's and Susies, etc. At least people can pronounce your name as written. And his is it spelled T-R-E-S? Pronounced Trey Watson, Lexington, Kentucky. If you're out on your bike tonight, everyone, as always, do wear
3: white. Look, 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 at like uh, look at the Michigan man. Look at the Michigan man.